Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Thank you so, so much for having me this morning and being a part of your family. Look at me multitasking here. Let's just put all my gear all over the place, all my technology. Yes, you can be seated. Thank you so much for that word, Roz. I don't take that lightly. That's really special. And um, I want to thank you. I feel so humbled and privileged to be with you this morning. And I want to thank you for also being brave enough to hear the message, the sexual message of Scripture. Before we begin, I want to give a shout out to our online viewers as well. Huge welcome to you. I want to thank you for tuning in this morning or afternoon, whatever time you are watching this service. And I pray that uh, I thank you for allowing me into your living room or bedroom, wherever you're watching from today. (laughs) Um, And uh, for those who uh, don't know me as well, I have been a pastor for 14 years and had the privilege of teaching on uh, sex, dating and relationships uh, for 10 of those 14 years. And so it is my privilege to speak to you on this very crucial topic this morning. Has everybody had enough coffee before I get started? (laughs) And this is not for the faint-hearted, but I want to let you know before I get started today, if I can, is that Jesus is not afraid of our brokenness or our confusion sexual, relational, or otherwise. Are we in agreement with that today? It's really important that we understand, not just for ourselves, but maybe our family members, our friends, um, people that we know and love, is that Jesus Christ does not recoil, nor is he surprised by our sin and brokenness. Yeah, this is really important. In fact, Jesus leans in closer when we sin. He leans in further and he insists all the more that we listen and find life and wholeness in him. This is what he does, amen? Yeah, that's really good news. And so if you're listening to me today and, you know, it gets halfway through the sermon and you go, oh no, it begins to dawn on you that you may have made some mistakes. Well, I've got some really good news. And that is uh, the gospel declares that there is nothing that you have lost that Jesus cannot restore, amen? Like sexual purity. There is nothing you have lost that Jesus can't give back to you. There is nothing you have done that Jesus cannot redeem, amen? Like sexual sin. There is nothing we can break that Jesus cannot mend, and that includes our heart or somebody else's. Is that good news today? And so every inch of you, I just want to declare before we jump into the message this morning, every inch of you, mind, body, and spirit is treasured by your Creator, Redeemer, and able to be redeemed, restored, and transformed this side of eternity. And that includes the shape of your brain, your hormones, your uh, uh, sexual metabolism, your sexual appetite, and the state of your relationships, all of it. All of it can be subject to redemption because of Jesus. And are we thankful for that this morning? This, by the way, is why the gospel is good news. (laughs) That's why it's good news, okay? Because sometimes we can look at the world and just think it's gone crazy, okay? What is happening in the world? But actually, people's sin, including sexual sin, is what makes the gospel so remarkable and so stunning. There's nothing Jesus cannot heal, amen? And so the church gets to be the profound answer to many of the issues we are seeing out in the culture today. We are extremely 
empower it this morning. Amen. So let me pray for you before we jump in. Is that okay? Would you join me in prayer? Thank you very much. So, Father, we are so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, I just pray. I declare that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is healing. There is transformation. There is wisdom and revelation. And we pray this morning, God, that you would open our eyes to the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And more than anything, Lord God, we pray. Holy Spirit, Glorify yourself, magnify him, exalt him, and draw us closer to him. And in his name we pray. And everybody said excitedly, amen. Beautiful. Okay, so let's uh, test the technology. I get really excited using technology in bigger churches because um, I'm a country pastor and technology um, vaguely works, okay? Vaguely works. So let's see. Oh, beautiful. Everyone give a cheer for your own technology. Well done. Oh, it's so much fun. Okay, so uh, let's look at uh, uh, something called tridimensionality. And the reason the sexual uh, worldview of Scripture is very important is because it is a gospel. The sexual worldview of the Bible is a gospel. It's good news, okay? That's very powerful. Let me tell you, you can be really confident in the sexual message of Scripture. You can because it is way brighter and more hopeful and healthy and fruitful and flourishing and joyful than anything that TikTok is going to present to our generation, okay? We have the good news. So the problem with the world's um, perspective of sex is that it doesn't affirm sex enough. That's the first thing that we need to realize. It actually uh, gets reduced to an activity that exalts pleasure over purpose. Okay, and now there's nothing wrong with pleasure, is there? Is pleasure a good thing? Yes, it is, Nikki. Okay, but as soon as you, <laughs> as soon as you separate pleasure from purpose, you're going to get pain. Okay, and that's actually what the forbidden fruit in the garden was all about, by the way. Okay, and so the Bible testifies, very important, that we are tridimensional beings, which kind of makes sense because we're made in the image of a triune creator. Okay, we are body, mind, and spirit, or body, soul, and spirit. Whenever I use the word soul, I mean mind, will, and emotions. Everybody following that? Okay, and so... Um, Sex, likewise, is tridimensional in nature, and meaning it engages all three aspects of our humanity. Sex involves not just our body, it involves our soul, our intellect, our emotions, our mind, and it involves our spirit, okay? And so to separate them, to separate your body from your soul, from your spirit when it comes to sexuality is to succumb to a heresy that we can loosely categorize this morning as Gnosticism or materialism. Everyone ready to take some notes this morning, okay? Bet you are wishing you had more coffee, but here we go. All right, so Gnosticism, you might have heard of that before. This is, a, the Greeks loved this, by the way. It's been around forever. Um, Paul the Apostle had to deal with it all the time in his letters. But Gnosticism involves a dualistic concept of being human. And what Gnosticism does is it separates the body from the soul. And the soul or the spirit is prioritized and, and it regards the body uh, somewhat of an irrelevant burden or less significant, less important, 
Is that making sense to us today? And so really what Gnosticism says is that you don't need to worry so much about honoring your body. And feelings are worshipped over and against physical reality. Okay, so it leads to the belief that what I feel on the inside defines the truth or is more important than the reality on the outside. And this underpins much of the sexual ethic that we are seeing on TikTok and social media and in the world today, where feelings define truth despite the uh, truth that our body preaches. Does that make sense? And so, um, and just so you know, when we are dealing with the, all the sexual theories out in the world today, okay, um, you can think about many of them. I just wanted to let you know that uh, science is overwhelmingly in favor of the Christian worldview, overwhelmingly in favor of your worldview, okay? And the entire science of medicine is built on the idea that body soul and spirit are intrinsically connected, or at least even in secular science, that body and soul, mind, will, and emotions are connected. All of medicine is built on that concept, okay? And so then you have materialism, as you can see on the screen there behind me, that exalts the exact opposite of uh, Gnosticism. So in other words, if you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, it's not uh, real or it matters significantly less. And so what materialism does is it reduces humans to a physical body and not much more. All right, this is a product of the evolution theory, which believes that you and I are just an accident of atoms with no innate moral or volitional responsibility. Okay, so what that concept says is that you and I are just highly developed animals and we just simply respond to our biological environment. In other words, we don't have a choice. Uh, we are born to be animalistic in our approach to sex. All right, and so a materialistic view of sex, for example, reduces, hu uh, reduces the activity to two humans engaging in this activity that has no or little moral, emotional, or spiritual meaning. And it's upon that worldview that the pornography and sex trafficking industries thrive, the materialistic view of sex. And so the worship of the physical body is inevitable for materialists, and our mind and spirit are burned up on its altar, okay? And this is what makes us think, friends, that sex is a dirty word or something to be ashamed about and that we can't talk about, okay? But actually, something is only dirty if you throw it in the dirt, okay? <laughs> the truth is this, and this is what the Declaration of Scripture bears witness to, is that sex is a wonderful gift from God. Hallelujah. Most of you look married in here, so we can be loud about that, okay? And so I want you to remember... What we're doing here this morning, we are not borrowing the idea of sex and relationships from the world, and now we're just trying to Christianize it, or we're trying to purify it so, you know, it feels a little bit more appropriate. That's not what we're doing here today, folks, because God came up with the whole idea. <laughs> he's got a monopoly on it, all right? He didn't accidentally create us with a sex drive, and now he's surprised by that, okay? That's not uh, how it goes. And so if God created sex, that means it, it has to be inherently good. It has to be. Because anything God creates is good. Have you read the creation narrative? It says, it was good. It was good. It was very good. Anything he creates is good. 
And so if God came up with the idea for humans to have sex, well, it has to be? Thank you. It has to be good. That means it will bless us. And I can feel people getting a bit more excited now. It means it will be good for your body and your mind and your soul. And it really is. It boosts your immune system. Hello. It get, this will motivate some of us married people this morning. Uh, it gives us energy. It gives us endorphins. It helps our sleep cycle. It's a natural painkiller and an antidepressant. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Okay, <laughs> and this is genius engineering. Okay, like this is not like IKEA furniture. God really knows how to put stuff together so it works. Do you know what I mean? Male and female. Okay, physically fit together like lock and key, like two puzzle pieces made for one another. And so when our bodies join together, male and female in sexual union, it unlocks fruitfulness and potential for new life. This is the genius design. Amen. Now, here's where it gets complicated for us. Okay. Um, The enemy can't create anything. That's not what he does, so he can only corrupt. Creation's not really in his wheelhouse. So what he does is he will take God's good creation and present to us a perverted version of it and hope that we will take the bait. Why? To rob us of that blessing that we were just talking about. So sex was never meant to be something that brings shame regret or heartbreak. It was never meant to be that way. It was meant to be in the blessing of God, safe and wholesome, safe and wholesome and fruitful and joyful, okay? And so for it to be this way, sex has to involve more than just our bodies. It has to. It has to involve our minds, intellect, emotions, and spirit, okay? So it's time that our generation Stop settling for what TikTok presents to us and the enemy scraps and rediscover the original unsoiled idea. Is that a good idea? Amen. So let's go back to the very first command God gives humanity. Okay? And that is amusing that people don't think God approves of sex when it's literally the first thing he tells us to do. Literally the first thing he tells us to do. He could have said anything. And the first thing he said was, what, be fruitful and multiply, people. How do you multiply human beings? There is only one way, people. There's only one way. And it's a great way. Okay, he could, when you think about it, he could have made it an unenjoyable or clinical experience, couldn't he? But he didn't. He didn't. He made it a joyful experience, a pleasurable experience. But hear me, pleasurable does not mean trivial or casual, okay? And I think that's where we can get confused because sex is a really big deal. It's a big deal. And so what Hollywood does, it works overtime to convince you that it's not. And it propagates ideas like casual sex and friends with benefits and extramarital affairs, okay? And high school education treats it in a trivial way. It educates our children saying, you know, as long as you don't get pregnant or like an STD, everything's fine. There's there's not much more consequences to it than that. Well, let me tell you something. There is no such thing as casual sex. There is nothing casual about it. Let me tell you, no activity on the planet is so powerful that it has the capacity to produce human life. 
Not even the angels are allowed the privilege of joining God in the creation of new life. I just got goosebumps telling you that. Okay, they are not sexual beings, the angelic beings. Now, God is not a sexual being, but we reflect our creator in his capacity to produce new life conceived out of intimacy and delight. We are amazing. Everyone say, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. With a little more gusto, please. Come on, people. You better believe that the angels marvel at us, gobsmacked by our design. And the fact that secular society reduces sex to a one-dimensional experience in the form of one-night stands, flings, or even de facto relationships is shallow, friends. Because sex is so much better than that and more powerful and sacred than that. I hope I can show you that this morning. And the reason it's really important for you and I to recognize and apprehend that sex is powerful is because if something is powerful, if we don't recognize it's powerful, sorry, what we tend to do is misuse or abuse it. Why? Because we naturally handle powerful things differently, right? We handle a bomb differently to a beach ball. Why? (laughs) Because when something is powerful, it has the potential to be both wonderful and dangerous. Are you following me? Okay. And so sex is a little bit like fire. Okay. Fire is powerful, which means it's both wonderful and dangerous, depending on how we approach it. All right. So what do we do with fire? Fire needs to be guarded within the boundaries of what? A fireplace, (laughs) all right? And when it's put within those boundaries, no one's just going to start a fire in their living room without a fireplace, are they? All right, maybe if you're from Byron Bay, but no one in here because you're very sensitive, uh, sensible, sorry, rational people in here today, okay? But fire, when it's put within the boundaries of a fireplace, uh, it suddenly brings warmth, comfort, and light and atmosphere to others. But if it's left unguarded, if the fire doesn't have boundaries, it can burn the house down. It can turn into a wildfire. People can get burned, okay? And so the idea is if we don't guard our sexual habits with boundaries, it has the potential to do damage, not just to ourselves, but to other people, okay? But safe within the confines of biblical boundaries. Sex is a wonderful and life-giving thing. Amen. We love it. It brings warmth and wonder into a marriage. Yeah. And so marriage, covenant marriage between a man and a woman is the biblical fireplace for sex. That is the context God gives us for sex. Yes. All right. And so it's probably important for us to talk about what marriage is briefly, marriage is not just a piece of paper or a social construct or even a legal contract, as some people tend to say. Um, It is, spiritually speaking, a binding lifelong covenant, and it must be entered into very seriously. All right, Genesis 2.24, as you can see that behind me, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one 
flesh. Such a great interactive morning today. And so <laughs> we don't become one flesh uh, from a de facto relationship or even being boyfriend and girlfriend, things like that. We get a dog together, buy a dish rack, whatever it is. Two can only become one flesh through covenant, okay? And that's where two parties uh, vow to commit their entire lives to one another. Yeah, And so in order to cut covenant, you have to shed blood. And it's why Jesus shed his blood on the cross, okay? There's always bloodshed when it comes to cutting covenant. And for this reason, in a, in a very serious sense, um, this is why the female has a hymen. And ev evolutionists and scientists have been bewildered by the purpose offered forever, for years and years and years. They say we cannot figure out why the female has this thing, okay? And of course, for those of you who didn't do year 10 biology, um, the hymen is the membrane containing blood most often broken when a woman has intercourse for the first time, okay? Now, you really wish you had coffee, all right? So one, once broken, all right, I'm the one saying it. You only have to listen, so just relax, people, all right? <laughs> all right, once broken and blood spilled, it never heals again like the other parts of the body. This is why they can't figure out why it exists. It never fills up with blood again. The idea behind this is covenant, which the Jew, Jews knew very, very well. And the idea was that when the marriage was consummated, any children born thereafter would be born under the blood of the covenant and inherit all those blessings and promises you made at the altar. This is graphic and gracious. And the graphic and gracious idea behind this is that no matter what your past or present situation is today, I've got really good news for you, is the bloodshed is meant to point to an even more graphic and more gracious bloodshed. And it was the bloodshed by Jesus at the altar, at the cross, when he consummated the covenant with us. That's what marriage is pointing to, okay? And so the shedding of his blood, no matter what our past or present is today, it covers us and it we inherit the blessing and promises of forgiveness and redemption and healing and restoration. You can take that to the bank this morning, just so you know. All right. So no matter where we stand this morning, we stand on the ground of redemption. Is that okay? And so marriage covenant, though, this is why it's important, friends. It is supposed to be a snapshot of the forever relationship, the binding, unending, and everlasting relationship God wants to have with humanity. That's what it is all about. And this foreverness of marriage is reflected in our physiology, okay? And so let's talk about, with the little bit of time I have left, something called biology theology. Are you ready for that? One person is, and that's all I need to keep going, okay? So, sex is like super glue, okay? Physiologically, it is an adhesive designed uh, to, for two people to stick together for life. And so when we engage in sexual activity, friends, there is a bonding that takes place. And I don't think anyone in here is going to argue with me about that. 
Um, every time we change sexual partners, okay, that bond is going to get a little less sticky, for want of a better word, okay? The intensity of that bond is going to drop, the levels of bonding hormones is going to drop every uh, sexual partner that we change, okay? We can't separate the body and the soul because whenever we engage in sexual activity of any kind, uh, hormones will be released in our body that affect the soul realm, the mind, will, and emotions. And that doesn't matter what our values are, what our belief system is, um, this is going to happen in our bodies. Now, the good news is that bond may drop, but uh, on the other side of redemption, with the transformation that comes from the renewing of your mind, when your mind changes and your neural pathways change, you can actually change your sexual metabolism and the way those hormones work. So that's amazing that God's created our body that way, okay? But let's talk about how this proverbial glue works, okay? It's actually different for males and females because how many know that men and women are different? <laughs> We're actually not the same. We've been talking about that all day yesterday, only four times. <laughs> okay, and so oxytocin is uh, the primary hormone that's released when women have sex, okay? It allows a woman to bond to the most significant people in her life. They actually nicknamed this the cuddle hormone which is pretty cute. And so what it does is it eases stress. You can see on the screen behind me, it uh, creates feelings of closeness. It triggers the trust circuits in her brain, which is important. And it causes her to want to nurture and protect in an altruistic way the one she is bonded to. Now, not only is that released when she has sexual activity, but it, is, um, it floods her brain when she breastfeeds her newborn baby for the very first time. It's released in copious amounts when she goes into labor. It is the main hormone that promotes infant-mother bonding in those crucial early days. And so um, it absolutely surges when she has the baby. Why? To ensure she, was, she is bound to that baby for life and promotes this willingness to sacrifice herself for that little child. And so these wonderful hormones are released in our body to bond her to someone for life, not a temporary interest, okay? It's powerful. We're starting to see how sex is a powerful thing, a beautiful thing. And so, uh, however, for the men, uh, the primary hormone uh, that is released during sex is not oxytocin, boys. It's something called vasopressin, okay? Now, this hormone is released. Uh, this hormone, sorry, uh, causes a man to want to bond to that woman. And I love it. Some, some people call it the commitment hormone or the monogamy molecule, okay? Because this hormone, God is so clever in the way he's designed us. This hormone is generates a desire for commitment. It rouses loyalty and inspires a protective sense over one's mate and even creates that jealous tendency, okay? Like, she's mine, hands off kind of thing that you see, you know, in high school corridors and, you know, when, when fights break out, okay? And, and, but just to remind you, there's actually a holy context for jealousy. Even God claims to love his people with a jealous love because married love is an exclusive love, yes, a privileged love. And so sometimes it's a holy thing to be jealous. And so a man's brain is inundated with vasopressin during sex, creating a bond with every woman he has sexual interaction with, no matter who they are or what they look like. 
And just like oxytocin, vasopressin not only promotes bonding between sexual partners, but between father and child. So when a father holds his newborn for the first time, his brain is flooded with vasopressin. So it's very, you know, dads, you've got to be in the room when mum's in labour, I'm just telling you, because you've got to hold that newborn for the first time and something magical is going to happen in your brain, okay? And so what, what am I saying? God has rigged the system, our entire system, so that our one spouse will be a blessing in the bedroom when you, even when you have more wrinkles and the kids are driving you crazy and all the things, your lower back hurts all the time, okay, because the power of perversion will never match the power of exclusivity. You and I are made for it. We are created for covenant commitment and our whole physiology points to that. Our biology aligns with our theology in that sense, amen? And so for this reason, it's actually the devil who hates sex, not God. <laughs> it's not God who doesn't approve of sex. The devil doesn't like it. Why does the devil hate sex and try, try to destroy it for us? Well, he hates it because he knows he hates life and blessing. That's what the devil hates. And he knows that sex is going to bring a connection that both generates and expresses life and blessing. And as we have heard earlier, he, he can't create, but he can counterfeit. He can counterfeit, okay? Have you, has anyone ever seen counterfeit money? Probably not. That would be weird if you had. But just picture it in your mind, okay? <laughs> Any bank tellers in the house this morning, okay? And so when it comes to counterfeit money, here I've got a $50 note. Uh, I don't just carry $50 notes around with me, but just for today's illustration. Um, uh, a quick glance at counterfeit money, um, it feels the same initially and looks the same as the real thing. So how can we tell a counterfeit from the real deal? Well, you know, uh, people who have been trained in, in counterfeit spotting will tell you, uh, at least with the Australian uh, notes, um, a trained eye will spot the difference because... Uh, how do I know this is authentic and not a counterfeit? What I have to do is hold it up to the light, okay? And if you hold that note up to the light, you're going to see only up against the light that this dollar note is stamped with the hologram of the Australian coat of arms. Only the real thing is stamped with that hologram of the Australian coat of arms and it's only seen under the light. Counterfeit money isn't worth anything even if it looks very similar to the real thing. And if we try to use it, we end up with nothing. And who knows that there's a lot of fake versions of sexuality circulating out there in the world today, more than ever, church. We've got to hold that up, hold what we see, all those ideologies being presented to us. You've got to hold that up to the light of God's truth and God's word. And when we do, lustful sexuality will be exposed for what it is. It is shallow and it is selfish and it is sterile, meaning it does not produce fruit. Whew, I just got goosebumps again because authentic sexuality is stamped with the approval and blessing of God and it is authenticated with covenant commitment. Okay, lust is the counterfeit of sexual blessing. And if we inspect it closely, 
it is exposed as the counterfeit. And, and, and it, we, we see that it is without the selflessness and sacrifice and commitment that a covenant relationship requires. And so what lust does, friends, it attempts to plunder sexual blessing without the commitment and sacrifice, okay? And so what lust says is um, let's take a shortcut primarily. Let's, let's take a shortcut. Let's have sex without intimacy. Let's have sex without commitment. And hey, even now, let's have sex without a person. And that's what, the, that idea is what the pornography industry thrives upon, okay? Have you got it in you to let me talk about pornography briefly with you this morning? I don't know if you came to church for that, but that's where we're going. Yeah, Shaz said yes, guys, so we're going to go for it. <laughs> All right, so self-centered sex. Sorry, I forgot. Oh, we were missing a slide, were we? No, we weren't. Self-centered sex uh, climaxes, forgive the pun, in pornography, providing sexual stimulation without having to honor, pursue, or meet the needs of anyone else but me. That's the idea behind it. But the idea of sex, the reality of sex, it's supposed to involve knowing and being intimately known by another image bearer. And so pornography is a parody of sexual blessing and not even close to the real thing. It's not even close. And trust me, friends, this is not a shortcut that you want to take, all right? Because the way it works on our appetite is very similar to our appetite with food, okay? So just like eating junk food all day ruins your appetite, right? Your mom always told you that, ruins your appetite. Pornography destroys your sexual appetite, okay? This is how it works in our body. So think about it this way. If your diet consists of junk food, okay, you're not going to crave a healthy home-cooked meal at the end of the day. Not only have you filled up on other stuff, but your taste buds align with what you tend to feed it. And our appetite is shaped according to what we feed it, okay? And so if we're hooked on sugar, salt, and MSG, for example, they eventually become the only things that will satisfy. And we need more and more of it, by the way, to gratify those cravings, okay? And so what pornography does, if we feed on pornography, um, if you, it will train your brain for unrealistic sexual experiences and excessive stimulation. And so what happens is what we're seeing statistically is by the time people climb into bed with their spouse, they're not hungry for the real thing. No, because they have trained their brain to view their spouse as a porn star in the bedroom instead of a sacred image bearer. Even if that's not what they regard them as, it trains their brain. And what happens is the dopamine hit that you get from pornography uh, operates in a very similar way to narcotics, actually the exact same area of the brain. And so what the excessive stimulation does is it results in reduced capacity, meaning you build up a tolerance and you need more, more, more to get the same result. And let me tell you, that makes for a terrible sex life and a huge turnoff. It's just a bad idea, all right? But here's the good news about our appetites. I mentioned it before. Sexual or otherwise, it is shaped according to what you feed it. And if you start starving your appetite of toxic things, guess what happens? You, it develops a hunger for other things, okay? So if you starve it of toxic things and start feeding it 
wholesome things, your appetite will eventually adapt. I think redemption is even woven into our biology, hallelujah. And so God has ordained sex to take place between a male and a female in an exclusive, monogamous, binding relationship called covenant. And he's rigged our system. I'm just sum summarizing for you today because I know we've raced through a lot of content. You're doing really, really well. He's rigged the system so it works best in that context. Why? Because sex within marriage preaches the gospel. Marriage requires not only lifelong commitment, um, but a continual laying down of ourselves for one another day after day after day. Ephesians 5, 25 to 29 lays out some outstanding relationship theology. I just want to read it for us today. It says this, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. By the way, such a radical and countercultural statement Paul the Apostle is making in a violating Roman culture. But what he's doing here is he is revealing a profound truth embedded in every successful marriage. And it is this, serving your spouse is serving you. Blessing them is blessing you. Their joy is your joy. And sexual intimacy is a beautiful expression of this covenant oneness. It's putting their needs before your own. It was never meant to be, friends, the giving of yourself for the sake of yourself. Sexual intimacy is meant to be the yielding of yourself to another in a private setting charged with sacred mystery and trust that results in both parties being blessed. In the beginning, God made one flesh into two. He pulled Eve from Adam's side. And in marriage, there is a death of sorts as two become one flesh. Do you see the beauty of that? There is only one way to become one, and it is the dying of self in order to serve another, and sexual intimacy is an extraordinary expression of this profound truth. It is a sexual gospel, a receiving of blessing that is attained through the giving of self, and this is God's idea behind sex, to become one in the most winsome way. And you could not get any further from our culture of selfish sensuality. And so the church should stand in stark contrast to the conflict and confusion and perversion that plagues humanity because we are kingdom sons and kingdom daughters and we are to celebrate one another fostering a powerful unity that is winsome and attractive to a watching world. Amen? Amen. And so I'll finish with a couple of thoughts this morning. Um, in Genesis 2.25, uh, you might remember this scripture well. This is my husband's favorite scripture, that Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Literally, he's quoted that more times to me in the last 11 years than I can count. And so this is his favorite scripture. But this is a profound declaration, friends, in an era where sex and shame are often found in the same sentence. They were naked and unashamed. 
And it was only until after they disobeyed God uh, that it says suddenly they felt shame for the very first time. And what did they do, friends? They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, loincloths, okay? And I want you to notice their shame is directed toward their differences. It covered their genitalia. And now we have, as a result of the fall, we have broken sexuality and broken hearts. And so how do we fix this? What do we do about this? Well, the world doesn't know what to do about this. And so the, in the vacuum of truth, a woke culture preaches a theology of filters and fig leaves for us so we can just feel more comfortable in our brokenness, change the outside so you feel good on the inside. But God already gave you a part of the body that can be transformed. And ironically, it can't be seen from the outside, but it's so powerful. It tells the rest of your body what to do. Paul writes in uh, Romans 12 verse 2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your beautiful. I might invite the worship team to come up and join me as we finish today. But I just want to say, if you are asking this morning, can I, who has experienced sexual sin or relational brokenness, can I still have, uh, regardless of my history, can I still have a meaningful and wonderful marriage and a healthy sex life and a fruitful future? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. Not one inch of us this morning is withheld from the transformative power of the gospel. It is really, really good news, isn't it? Come on, you can give Jesus a shout of praise. It is good news. So proud of you this morning. You've done really well. But in order to experience transformation, the Bible tells us we must change the way we think. We have to think differently about sex, dating, and relationships. Is sex merely for personal pleasure, or is it an exclusive gift of intimacy for marital covenant? Is dating for selfish experimentation, or is it a process of trust to discern who is appropriate to receive my gift of intimacy? Is marriage a social construct, or is it a biblical covenant to reflect the mystery of the gospel? We are transformed by the renewing of our mind and the way we think. And you better believe if Christ can renew your mind, He can renew your sexual metabolisms, your sexual memories, bringing us to sexual wholeness and sexual blessing. Hallelujah. And so as we finish, I want to let you know that the world can't conceive of this kind of transformation. Can't conceive of it. And so they they it's like they stare at caterpillars and can't possibly perceive that it could one day be a butterfly. Just can't perceive of transformation of that degree. And so they preach grace without judgment, giving us a message of lukewarm tolerance. Or they preach judgment without grace, giving us a message of cancel culture. But when judgment and grace culminate in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we get a message of transformation. Is anyone happy about that this morning? Hollywood offers us surgeries, synthetic hormones, pornography, and a theology of fig leaves. But the gospel offers and always will offer acceptance, healing, and hope that is anchored in transformation, not just in eternity, but on earth as well. Amen. And there is nothing stopping you from accepting and experiencing that transformation today because body, mind, and spirit, Jesus honored you with his body when he died in it. And regardless of what we have done with ours today, he has secured our redemption when he rose in his. 
And so, friends, I leave you with that. Guard yourself from ideology that presents a perverted version of something pure and precious and powerful. Would you stand with me this morning? If you want more information about how you can walk out this journey when it comes to sex and marriage and gender and dating and singleness and healing and restoration. I've written a book and you uh, feel free to grab that uh, in the foyer after the service today. But as well, I just want to invite if you want prayer this morning for that redemption, for that grace, for that healing and restoration. There are so many people in this church who would love to pray for you and with you. In Jesus' mighty name, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for your truth. And I just pray an anointing over every person under the sound of my voice this morning, that you would anoint them with the boldness and the courage that is required to stand on the truth in days such as these, Lord, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us to be a witness to a world that is broken and confused and so in need of healing and transformation. Lord, I pray for any person who needs your healing today. I declare that the Spirit of the Lord is freedom bringing and healing bringing and that you would begin to just initiate that process of healing in this moment right now in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au.